<laughs> good times, good times. Good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. Um, I don't want, we don't always recognize our, our worship team, but I wanted to pause and, uh, and just thank our worship team for leading us in worship, drawing us to God. And uh, Our family was talking about every time Jerry says, all right, all right, we like, it's like Pavlov, we're ready to worship. If he doesn't do that, then I don't feel like my heart can get right, you know, and so even in my own personal devotions, I'm like, all right, all right, okay, now it's time to, time to worship, and so thank you, uh, Jerry, for your leadership, and thank you, worship team. Uh, fantastic. I have a really weird thing, like a, a corrections and retractions. Sometimes people do that kind of thing uh, because it showed up twice. About five weeks ago, I said I deleted my Instagram, and then someone said, like, I saw an Instagram post from you. You know, you didn't dis- delete your Instagram, and I, I, I didn't say it correctly. I deleted Instagram from my phone. I didn't delete my account, and I, my Facebook and my Instagram are linked. So if you've seen posts coming up, it's not because I. I lied before and I actually didn't delete my, so Instagram's still not on my phone uh, because that was where I was having the problem, just wasting hours on my phone. And so, and I want to say that because I don't want you ever to think like I say things that aren't true. And so two different people said like, hey, I saw a post, I thought you deleted it. And so I was like, oh, I better say something really like that. And that's I'm so weird to say on a Sunday, but, but I wanted to never, I never wanted to feel like, oh man, our pastor's just making up stories or that, that didn't happen in his life or he's not being truthful with us. So just on the full up and up. All right. Okay. Uh, hot shot. Uh, quiz time. Hot shot or whatever that quote is. Uh, what's our mission statement? Love God. <laughs> Ooh, so I tricked you, huh? And how do we say that to one another? I love God and I love you. Oh, I tricked you guys. No, that was a good one. So we're in this series now talking about one hit wonders. We're looking at people or events that come in the Bible just like one time maybe for one verse or, or one event or, or one moment, and that's it. And they, uh, but, but those moments matter. Like The things that happen in those moments are what shape Christianity. And today we're going to talk about uh, people who show up in just one moment, but these are a particular type of people. We're talking about fighters today. And so uh, if you like fighting, if you don't like fighting at all, then probably this is not the message for you. So just go ahead and uh, make your shopping list or wherever you're going to go eat after this. No, I, I promise it's still for you, even if you don't love fighting. But uh, we're going to look at some fighters in the Bible who showed up. Okay, so here's our first one and his moment. His name is Ehud, and he comes in Judges chapter 3. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer. So they had been conquered, and so God helped them out. Ehud, who's a left-handed man, left-handed means he's they, they would have thought he was cursed or, or bad. They would, for, if you were left-handed, they would force you to become right-handed, so no one knew that you were left-handed in ancient times. So it was either unlucky or, or like uh, cursed. But anyway, he's a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. The uh, Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who had conquered them. Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, elbow to wrist, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. <laughs> After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent, uh, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself, he, w- he went back to Eglon and he said, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. And the king said to the attendants, Well, leave us. And they all left. And Ehud then approached him while he's sitting alone in his upper room of his palace, and he said, I have a message from God for you. Now, that could have been a one-liner, right? That could have been those one-hit one-liners. 
And uh, as the king rose from his seat to get the message, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword with, from his right thigh, and he plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and the bowels, his bowels, discharged. Ew, too graphic a little bit. Sometimes the Bible is that way. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. And Ehud went out on the porch, and he shut the doors of the upper room behind him, and he locked them. And after he had gone, the servants came and they found the doors locked. And they said, well, he must be doing number two, you know. He must be relieving himself in the inner room. So they, they waited and they waited and they waited. And they actually waited to the point of embarrassment when he did not open the doors of the room. They took a key, they unlocked it. They saw their Lord was fallen on the floor dead. But while they had waited, Ehud had gotten away. Now, this is uh, pretty much what Ehud is known for. And then he comes, he gets his people, and now they're kingless, and he comes and he attacks them. And then they, he delivers Israel. But, but the point of the reason that he was here is because God's people had been conquered, and, and God was using Ehud to deliver the people. The whole point of his fight wasn't for his own personal gain, or he wasn't trying to become a conqueror or anything like that. The whole point of Ehud in this story as a judge is that he was a person who God asked to help deliver other people. So he was a God's person. God said, hey, I need you to go do something for me, and that something is to fight for me, and Ehud was willing to do that. And we're going to see this pattern all morning long in today's message, where God uses someone to fight for him in order to fight for other people. God using a follower of himself to deliver others from either oppression or trouble or difficulties. So that was our first fighter. Our second fighter is Shamgar, and I'll be honest, he's my favorite in the Old Testament. Shamgar has one single verse in the Bible. Well, he actually has a second verse, but he's just named as like in a list of names. But here's his verse, Judges 3.31. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he too saved Israel. That's it. That's all Shamgar gets. Then this is one of my favorite Old Testament passages. It's only this one tiny verse, but the cinematic possibilities in my mind are like, are, uh, like innumerable, limitless. I, I imagine they're all choosing weapons. So I imagine they're going to go out, they're going to fight, they're choosing weapons. There's long swords, there's battle axes, there's bows. There, a guy's got a mace, someone's got like, you know, I don't know, a, a big club. And in walks Shamgar straight off the family farm with like wheat coming out. And he's like, don't own a weapon, so I brought my ox goad. Ox goad is a seven foot long, seven, eight foot long rod that you use to poke the ox or the cattle in the butt so they'll move. And you do it so they don't kick you in the face. That's all it's for. It's not, it's not for anything other than poking bovine booties. That's all it's for, you know, and... and uh, and so he shows up, FYI, it's not a weapon. It's, it's an ox poker. And here's this guy, he shows up and he's like, I'm ready. Then he goes out and kills 600 dudes with an ox poker. My big imagination question is this. Like, is this at one time? Was he just stacking Philistine bodies? That, so was this one battle? where this guy took his ox poker and he killed 600. I couldn't even swing like, imagine swinging a bat 600 times. Your arm would fall off. Can you imagine? So if it was one battle, that would be super epic. But then I was thinking, what if it's, what if it's a bunch of battles? So he could have gotten a sword or a bow or something else, but he's like, nah, 
I'm going with ox poker. And so, so like battle after battle, ox poker guy comes out and he like kills 40 or 50 people. And then another, you know, three weeks later, he kills another 20 people. Ox poker guys showing up. That, that would be weirder or epic or, or I don't know if it's even better. Which is better? Uh, and I was thinking like the ox poker as a weapon. It's definitely not cool. It's a big ox poker thing. But, but it's so not cool, like it wraps around to be cool again, you know? Like it's so outrageous that he does this. And so God used Shamgar to help save the people. He was part of God's plan to help save others. There's another fighter in the Bible, and not quite human, it's an angel fighter. Check out this passage in Isaiah. Then the angel of the Lord went out, and he put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. The people got up the next morning. There were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and he withdrew. And he returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. I mean, this is just busted, right? This is like a, this is not a battle or a fight. That's just annihilation. It's like a, if you had a cheat code to a video game and it allows you to like a, just, just, just bust through all the levels and all you have to do is press A, 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 and like... <laughs> kills all the bad guys. You get the big bad bass guy at the, 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 the end level and you just hit A, 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 A. You're just mashing your buttons and it's like, clearing screen, clearing screen, and then you just destroy them. That's the angel Lord. He just came down. And he's like, oh yeah, 185,000. 185,000. That's a big number. So here we have uh, an angel fighting for God's people. This is in addition to those couple other human warriors that we saw earlier fighting for God's people. Our next fighter is a girl named Jael. Here's the passage in Judges 4. Uh, Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harosheth, Hagoyim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber. So Sisera is the bad guy in this. He had, was the one conquering Israel. And he, he fled on foot to the tent of Jael. Jael is the wife of a guy named Heber, the Kenite. Because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Kenite. So Jael went out and she met Sisera and she said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid, <laughs> said the spider to the fly. <laughs> so he entered her tent and, and uh, she covered him with a blanket. And he, he says, I'm, I'm thirsty. Give me some water. So she opens up a skin of milk. And she gives him a drink, and she covers him up. And he says, stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks ask you, is anyone there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, she picked up a tent peg and a hammer. And she went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. And she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then... Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I'll show you the man that you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. So not just men fighting here. We have women getting on the action as well. All right. Now this Jael girl, she's just cold. She's stone cold killer, right? She didn't even, she gave him milk to help him sleep. He's like, I'm thirsty. Milk's what you need, and a warm blanket over you, you know? Like, and so she put this guy to sleep, and then she takes this huge tent peg, and we're not talking about pup tent, like we, we do pegs on our tents nowadays, but this is a whole family tent. 
So the, the, the big, huge Middle East tent where a whole family would live in, and tent, tents are like bigger than railroad spikes, and here she comes, and she grabs one of those, and she's like, bang, she flexes her huge bicep. I imagine she's the girl from Encanto, you know, that, the, the strong girl that's in Encanto? I think that's her. You know, she's like, and it doesn't just like kill him. It goes through his temple into the ground. So it's like head, skull, head, other skull, ground. And then he's like, right? I'll tell y'all, she really staked out her position. Right? Cicero definitely got the point. I promise. <laughs> God used her to fight on behalf of her people. And she wasn't even a trained warrior. Our last fighter is a guy named Jephthah. It's Hebrew, you know. In Judges 11, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him other sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. Uh, For you're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you're the son of another woman and you have a difficult name. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and he settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. So we see what kind of guy he is. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Japheth from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight against the Ammonites. And Jephthah says to them, didn't you hate me? Didn't you drive me from my father's house? Oh, why do you come to me now when you're all in trouble? And the elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, don't worry about that. Bygones be bygones, right? We're turning to you now. Come with us and fight the Ammonites, and and you'll be head over all who live in Gilead. And listen to his response. He answers this. Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? Elders Elders of Gilead said, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head of commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah, and he goes out, battles, and wins the battle. So God uses this dude with a completely broken upbringing, right? He's, he's rejected. His, his mom's a prostitute. And then the, the, the real kids are like, get this kid out of here. He doesn't belong in our family. He doesn't belong in society. He goes and hangs out with scoundrels. So, you know, joins a gang. <laughs> Becomes a leader of that gang. And yet he's still used by God. Like despite his hurt, and troubled youth, he still agrees to help other people. Isn't that interesting? He still agrees to help the very people who hurt him. So maybe he's not so bad after all. And we still see that that God is on his mind. You see his response to them, what happens if I go back, and not that I win the battle, what happens if I go back and the Lord delivers people to me? Then what happens, he says? Because he has in mind still the Lord, despite all the things that had happened to him throughout his life. And then God uses this incredibly flawed individual with a checkered past to join in helping to save God's people. Now these warriors, they're they're all in the Old Testament, and I think it's appropriately so because, because Jesus comes in the New Testament and he says, don't tent peg your enemies. Rather, he says what to your enemies? Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute, and that sort of thing. 
Yet at the same time, God calls every one of you to be a fighter, to fight like those in the Old Testament, only in a greater way. See, God does not call you to be weaker in the New Testament, but rather stronger, to fight a bigger enemy than the Ammonites or Eglon or someone like this. God calls every single one of you who are listening this morning, who God has called into this service to hear His Word, God is calling you to be His newest fighter, to fight spiritual battles against the real, actual enemy. You're familiar with this passage that comes in Ephesians, I'm pretty sure. And it's this famous verse that says that we don't fight against flesh and blood. In Ephesians, Paul says it this way, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And you've got to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's not against the rulers or the authorities, but it's rather against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of the dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, you're still standing. Stand firm then with a, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist and with a breastplate of righteousness in place and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and get this one, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. So we get to do the exact same thing. God is calling every one of you to the exact same thing of these fighters in the Old Testament. We get to fight for those people who are around us. God calls us to fight for people, fight for the faith, and fight for spiritual things. Fight against the devil, fight against the enemy, fight against the, the evil that's in this world. And God calls every one of you to do it. And you don't got an excuse, well, I'm a girl, I don't fight. No, Jael. Well, I'm a loser, I have a messed up background. No, Jephthah. Even if you have a bad, hard name to pronounce. God has something for you. He's calling you to fight for people. Just like they, they, God called them to fight for people, God is calling you to fight for people. Just like those Old Testament fighters, you may not be qualified. Maybe your upbringing was messed up. Maybe society thinks less of you. Maybe you aren't a big name. Maybe you've never gotten noticed for anything. Maybe, maybe you just got one verse. But God's calling you to fight spiritually for those that are around you to fight in prayer for people. Because the spiritual fight is a prayer fight. It's the battleground for souls. And, and this verse commands us to join that fight. See it again here in Ephesians 6. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That's what he was saying. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So you're called to by God, to fight in prayer for believers and non that are around you. Pray all kinds of prayers, it says. That, that means uh, pray, pray, pray prayers for health. Pray prayers for mental wellness, for strength, for wisdom, for opportunity, for provision from God. 
pray all kinds of ways. Sometimes pray out loud and sometimes pray silently and sometimes play with another person and, and sometimes sing out your prayers. Do it in public, private, in all sorts of ways. Just keep on praying for all things in all sorts of ways. Pray on all occasion with all kinds of prayers. And not just for one time. Keep on praying. James says, pray for one another. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you could be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. God says, there is a fight, but it's not go beat somebody up. It's not kill anybody right now. There's a bigger fight. And that fight takes place in the spiritual realm. And the way to access the spiritual realm is in prayer. That's it. You can't punch at it. You can't stab in it. You can't armbar it. Well, you can, but it has to be done in prayer. We're talking about spiritual things in a spiritual battle. So pray for spiritual healing. Pray for those around you that they'll get well enough spiritually to join you in that battle. Pray for people that persecute you. Jesus says in Matthew, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We'll defeat the enemy Satan by praying for and loving everyone, even our enemies, even people on a different political spectrum, even people in a, with different sexual choices, even people who are foreign-looking than you, even people with a different upbringing, different socioeconomic background. We will defeat the enemy, and we will follow God by praying for humans and loving humans. See, the enemy is never a person. The enemy, even when, when Twin Towers happen, the enemy aren't the people, it's the rejection of God that brought them to that place. The fight is for their souls. It's not a physical fight any longer. But it's a monumentally more important fight. And God is calling every single one of us to it. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for people in affliction. And even pray for people that persecute you. This is the fight of the New Testament. This is the fight God is calling you to engage in, starting now for some of you, continuing, being re-encouraged. Maybe you've been in this prayer battle for like you're a prayer person for 30 years. God is saying, keep it up. That's the, prayer, that's the fight place right there. Our last actual fighter to mention today is you. This is your verse. God's calling you to fight today. This is God's word to us today to join the amazing fighters that we saw in the Old Testament. And they fought in different ways with different weapons. Ox goad, tent peg, left-handed knife, supernatural angel. <laughs> and we're all going to fight different ways. We're going to talk and we're going to pray in different... You've got a prayer language, pray it out. You've got an angelic language, pray it out. You use English, pray it out. If you use Korean, pray it out. If you use Chinese, pray it out. Spanish, pray it out. We're going to pray in all sorts of different ways. Some of us pray loud, some of us pray quiet, some of us pray in our room, some go on our knees and some stand up. All those kind of things, God is asking you to engage in all of that. 
to pray. This is your moment. This is right now the moment you get to decide if you're going to be the God fighter that God is calling you to be, that he created you to be. He says, I'm looking for folks here that will fight for me, will stand up for me. And that, that fight is in prayer. To make a decision to prioritize praying, to, to wholeheartedly fight the real enemy, Satan. Maybe God will be calling you right now to start a prayer ministry, which we do not have at this church. Not an organized one. we got a lot of prayers, but it's not an organized Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. Maybe he's calling you to five minutes a day. Or maybe you're at 15 minutes to 20 minutes a day. Maybe he's calling you to take an entire 24-hour prayer fast. I don't know. I say all of it and all the ways. Do it all. So let's take a moment to commit yourself to God. I mean, only if he's asking, not in a sort of religious way because you're supposed to or something like that. To become the prayer fighter that, that is needed in this day and age because it's needed. I know a lot of people who need someone to fight on their behalf. Will you be that person?